Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome back to Your Tables Ready. I'm your host, Carol Haydar. Today we're talking donuts and a new e-commerce and delivery platform that's giving Deliveroo a run for its money. We're speaking to co-founder JP Then. JP moved to London about 10 years ago from Australia, where the specialty coffee and baked goods scene was thriving. Back then, this was almost non-existent here. This was before the invasion of flat whites. JP joined forces with co-founder Adam Wills, who's the founder of Gourmet Burger Kitchen, to create London's first artisanal sourdough donut and gourmet coffee brand. If you work in media or in an office near a crosstown stall or store, you've definitely had one of these. These guys bake their donuts all through the night so they can be delivered fresh to the stores every morning. They have an evolving menu of seasonally flavored donuts. With summer rapidly approaching, you'll find flavors like yuzu passion fruit and rhubarb and ginger in stock. They started as a stall in Leather Lane in 2014 and since have grown to 11 stores, 10 stalls, and they're stocked in six retailers. Retailers like Whole Foods, Selfridges, Harvey Nicks. As well as creating a multi-million pound company out of donuts, JP's also recently launched an online ordering platform that businesses can plug into to sell direct to customers. This product is called Slurp. It's a challenger brand for sure. Charging clients a third of what the current operators charge, it could stamp out the competition or certainly make them reconsider their own models. Slurp launched in December 2019, and unlike many other businesses during the pandemic, it's actually growing exponentially. In this episode, we'll be weaving between the two products during our chat, speaking about how he's created them, but also what they're both doing in the pandemic. In fact, Crosstown was one of the first businesses to pivot their offering right when the lockdown happened. And that's where we're kicking off. Here's JP. So, yeah, the last two months for us has has been um, obviously very challenging. And when lockdown commenced, uh, we thought we had to pivot very, very quickly because ultimately... uh, our revenue had had fallen to to zero, and we we formed something called the Crosstown Collective uh, with a number of other operators in the space. Uh, so these guys were people such as Miller's Bespoke Bakery and the Estate Dairy. You know, Miller's Bespoke Bakery uh, traditionally supplies so many of the restaurants, hotels, and and eateries throughout London and beyond. Places like the Walsley, the Ivy, Five Guys, and similarly, Sean and Rebecca at the State Dairy supplied their milk and butter and, and produce to, to all the specialty coffee shops. And all of us had seen our revenue crumble uh, in a matter of, of literally days. And we banded together and said, well, what can we do? What, what, what can we do together to, to get through this? And we looked at our strengths and said, well, we've got the supply chain. Uh, we've got logistics, uh, we've got the warehousing, and we've got the technology because Crosstown has a great online presence. So we formed the collective literally in the space of a couple of hours. We, we, we banged our heads together. And really within a day, we, we got up a, a section of our website and started pulling together what we usually sell. So bakery and, and bread produce, uh, dairy produce, we very quickly found a local fruit and veg supplier in London and we pivoted. And, and that really, really was the start of uh, the new, I guess, the new norm, um, what we're in now. And we, we've done you know, tens of thousands of orders 
over the last two months and it's, it's been incredible and crazy at the same time you know selling fruit and veg was never part of the plan for crossed uh it's it never yeah. be something we've had to do and it's keeping us all alive i mean it's, it really is protecting hundreds of jobs within our, our business and it, it is giving customers exactly what they want which is delivery to their doorstep through safe means and yeah i think if anything maybe the collective is here to stay i think it'd be quite hard now to imagine us not doing it if i'm honest which is quite a crazy comment but you know it's expanded as well we've we've got in other suppliers so we've got caravan coffee roasters we're actually launching st john today with their wines which is you know amazing which is such an institution in london as well as some other people so i think it's it's been a it's been a roller coaster ride but i think it's it's also a huge evidence that people are willing to support local independent operators and i think the idea of shop local or shop within your community is is really thriving at the moment and i think that's a real positive that's come out of of this mess uh, and I hope it's here to stay. Yeah. And from the slurp side, the sort of tech side of things, I guess it's probably doing even better than before. Yeah. I mean, the the, the view on slurp is, is is so contrasting to Crosstown. You know, slurp's a, an online ordering platform and it really is about providing operators with a direct-to-consumer e-commerce solution that does on-demand delivery and click and collect. So, you know, we only launched it in Q4 last year after almost three years of testing. So it's been something I've been doing for a very long time, actually. Uh, but the timing, of course, is, is pretty perfect for, for operators. So the growth we've seen on Slurp has been you know, hyper growth. We, we've sort of gone somewhere between 20 and 25x growth in, in 60 days and now supporting hundreds of, of operators throughout the whole of the UK. And it's really just accelerated the view that I've always had that, you know, you should be an omni-channel player. If you want to do hospitality right now, I do think there's an element of doing online ordering and you should have control of that channel. I think people have been over-dependent on marketplaces and, you know, I think there's quite a lot of press at the moment and, and backlash against the marketplaces because of the commissions and it's very difficult to make the numbers stack up. So this is about providing a, a direct-to-consumer channel and really just powering people's websites so that they can engage and, and control our customer journey and ultimately retain the data as well. Uh, so it, it's been a, a crazy two months for Slurp for different reasons. Um, and it's, it's all sorts of operators. It's, you know, it's bakeries, it's butchers, it's fishmongers, it's deli shops, breweries. It's not, it's not just restaurants. So I think it's... It's really interesting to see so many different businesses pivot so quickly. And my view is that, you know, online ordering is is, is already here, but it's it's here in a bigger, bigger way than ever. And I think it's here to stay as well. Absolutely. And do you guys also provide the actual delivery process? No, it's a whole end-to-end process. So we connect in with uh, a whole f- network of, of last mile couriers so it depends on the operator's setup. So if they have staff that they want to use for the deliveries, they can do that. Or if they want to outsource it, they can also do that. And it's a range of yeah. on-demand ordering, you know, pre-orders for future days or schedule orders. 
and it's a mix of of click and collect as well as delivery. Uh, so you kind of can pick and choose what you want to do with it and to suit your business needs. It's pretty incredible because doesn't delivery take like 30% and you guys take 7.5%? Yeah. And I mean, the marketplaces tend to be 30% upwards, you know, 35. I've, I've even seen some people get quoted 50%, which I think is, is pretty outrageous. Yeah. yeah, we we take a straight seven and a half percent because it we know that can work for operators. You know, having my crosstown hat on, I, I know that I can make those numbers stack up. Um, I think the big difference as well is that we're Slurp is a B two B product, right? We're essentially powering a website, so we're not out there creating an app for people to drive traffic to. We we're not a marketplace. So it's really down to the operator to send their messaging out through their own channels to say, hey, look, you can buy direct from our website or through our Instagram, come to us directly. And and that's the message that we want to drive home is that you've got to push your own brand. And that is all, that is what direct-to-consumer e-commerce is all about. And if you do that, you, you, you have more control, um, you're engaging with the customer directly, and that's what people want. People want to interact with the brand directly. I think that's really, really important. I think that's something that is probably more important now than ever, particularly the, the independent operators, that they engage and, and create a relationship with their customer base. Yeah. Let's take a few steps back to actually how you started Crosstown, you know, your, your background and then how you actually came into the food industry. Yeah, sure. Um, I guess the journey for Crosstown and the seed that, that sparked it all goes back about 10 years. So I grew up in Australia. Uh, I was born in Edinburgh and, and I moved over to, to Australia when my, my dad got a job there. So we migrated over as a family and I spent about 10 years in Australia. I did high school there. I did uni there and I started my career there. You know, I studied economics and business and ended up getting a job in an economist and it was an interesting time because when I got that job, it was the start of the financial crisis. And I realized very quickly that I knew nothing about economics, despite studying it for five years. Um, I, did, I did it for three years and, and you know, it was always sort of itching to do my own thing. And I did on the side a few things like I actually started a blog back at uni, which I monetized through sort of Google AdSense and ended up employing people around the world writing content, which was a bit crazy. Um, so I think I always had a burning desire to do something on my own. And I think moving to London was really the, the instigator of, of trying to reset myself and do that. And really, then I spent four years doing all sorts of consultancy, you know, working for a startup doing like a business analyst role and I ended up working for a fashion label for a few years which was really interesting as well but still didn't quite tick that box of having the control and, and, and moving as fast as I wanted to so when I moved to London I thought something w- was was missing in, in in this coffee scene like the specialty coffee scene in London 10 years ago was was pretty much non-existent and in Australia uh, it's it's a huge part of the culture and it's a way of socializing. It's a way of, yeah, it, it's so embedded and ingrained into how the week functions. But here it was just impossible to get like a decent coffee. And I thought that was really crazy. I mean, there was like a handful of operators that would do a flat white, for example. And 
always in the back of my head was like, oh, is there a way that we could do it a scaled specialty co- coffee concept? And I really put pen to paper probably about seven, eight years ago and created a business plan and made the decision to to do something. I was like, I've, I've got to do this. I, I really, I, I love the food scene. I'm a massive foodie. I love the coffee scene. Is there a way that I can get involved here? And the business plan was, you know, opened up a lot of doors for me. I obviously had no sector experience at all, but I managed to meet a number of people in this sector who gave me their time, which was amazing. And one of those people along the way was was my business partner, a guy called Adam Wills, who, you know, been in the restaurant scene for a very long time in London and is most well known for, for starting GBK, which is or Gourmet Burger Kitchen, which was a, a burger chain. And we put our heads together and we got to know each other over the course of about 12 months. And that concept, which started from about how do we tie something to specialty coffee, you know, evolved into what is now known as Crosstown. Uh, it was about, you know, it evolved into the bakery concept because we really saw a gap in the market for a premium uh, sort of handmade fresh donut. You know, we created uh, or invented the, the sourdough donut and we thought that was the perfect pairing to specialty coffee. Uh, so just just to pause for a second. So I have so many questions. <laughs> How, did you just start emailing, <laughs> emailing people in the industry just like, hey, can I buy you a beer or a coffee and chat about some ideas I have? Like, how, how did you actually start talking to these people when you came from n- nowhere near that background? Yeah. And then were you actually baking? Like, do you know how to bake? <laughs> <laughs> on, on, on the first point, like I, I, I did a very elaborate business plan. Like I basically created, embedded myself into the industry without actually being in it. And because of the detail that I went to in this business plan, uh, I think it, it, it did attract a lot of attention in, in a positive way. So I, I really put the work up front into that. And you're right, it was cold calling. It was sending people the business plan binded in the mail. It was trying to find their email address. It was... So many different ways. I think it probably sent out about 300 packages. This would have been, what, seven, eight years ago. And that's the only way to do it. I love it. You've just got to, you've got to go, go for it. And, and there's nothing to lose from my side. I think I, I really reconciled in my head that working for someone else wasn't quite right for me. You know, I tried a number of different sectors, whether it was economics, business analyst, fashion label, doing sort of brand strategy. It wasn't the jobs, it was me. <laughs> it's sort of realization of going, hey, it's it's something that I just need to do. So because I had, because I was sort of all in on it, I think it was sort of so clear to me that I need to do this and I need to open up doors for myself. And that that's what I did. And it took, you know, a good 12 to 18 months to to get it right. And then I sort of got to know Adam and the concept evolved into donuts and coffee. And yeah, that was the kind of start of of the journey. And, and you know, Crosstown turned six a few days ago, actually. But the journey for, for me really started two years before that, before we, we really sort of first sold our donuts. It started as a stall in Leather Lane, right? Yeah, yeah. So we we ended up getting a little pitch on in 
in Leather Lane in Farringdon. And that was really to test the idea, right? It was about, can we sell a donut for for £3.50? Or people think we're, we're bonkers. The sort of back of the napkin idea was, can we sell a box of 12 donuts for £30 that are like handcrafted and use the best ingredients? Or, or are people going to think we're absolute idiots? But luckily enough for us, I guess, we we got traction really, really quickly. We got picked up by like Selfridge's, I think it was in like the second week. It was it was crazy. Someone saw our stall and oh, wow. contacted us. And um, we then started getting a lot of inbound inquiries about wholesale. So actually all the specialty coffee shops that were popping up were like, hey, you know, can, can you guys sell to us? And despite the fact that wholesale wasn't really part of the plan, we were like, of course, you know, let's let's get the reach out there that we're here and get the volume up and, and, and get the name out there. And so by the end of the first year, we were sort of wholesaling to like 70, 80 accounts, I think. And, you know, wholesale wasn't part of the plan at all. So I think the learning in that is you've got to be ready to pivot. You've got to be ex- accepting that your business plan can change very, very quickly. And if I look at the business now, wholesale is like two, three percent of my business. It's it's pivoted again. It's it's not significant at all. Um, we only work with a few accounts like Harrods, Whole Foods. Uh, we were flying with Air New Zealand actually for the London to LA route on business class. Yeah, so I think it it's taken a number of turns like Crosstown in itself, but the actual core principle of what we set out to create is actually exactly the same, which was providing a moment away for people to have a delicious sweet treat using the best ingredients. And, and that's what we stand by you asked me before is that um can i bake and the answer is no (laughs) i'm not a baker by trade and i i think maybe the learning in that is that don't let that be a barrier right i'm i I knew nothing about donuts before and I'm, I'm, i'm quite happy to say that i guess i control more of the brand journey the customer side of it Adam's very much the operational guy and, and food is his background. So that's really his realm. I think that's another really important point for people is that find a business partner because it's someone that you lean on an incredible amount. And when you're doing a startup, you work ridiculous hours. You know, it's it's common that you work twice as hard as, as, as normal. And when there's two of you doing that, it's, it's twice as productive. So I think finding someone who can uh, not only that you trust and, and can work alongside, but who's got a very different skill set is, is really important. And I think very, very valuable. You know, Adam's very different. He's, he's, he's in a different stage of his life. He's got three kids. He's, he's older than me. And we bring different experience together. And it works really well. And it has done, touch wood, luckily, it has done for, for years. So then was he kind of like, oh, I know just the person who can help us make these donuts like there's definitely been people involved along the way that have helped us and obviously we had to create the the sourdough donut so there's some names in there like peter gordon who was very well known restaurateur and chef who is very well known for fusion dining or fusion food and another guy called dean brett who is a baker by trade and he's sort of based in singapore and, and as you know a number of of outlets we drew on expertise because, you know, we both realized that, you know, Adam wasn't a baker. I'm not a baker. 
we've got a great idea, but we do need help to execute it. So having the, the, the courage to ask for help is really important. I think you've got to be, and I'm learning every day. There's no doubt about it. You, there's so much stuff we don't know about that we need help on. And you need to, to bring in that resource and, and ask for help, particularly during times like this, right? Where no one's faced a lockdown before. What What is this new norm? What are other people doing? There's so many conversations with other operators on a daily basis, people going, hey, what are you up to? How, how are you going to treat this situation? What are you going to do in the next couple of weeks? How's online working for you? How are you going to open up your shops in the coming weeks? Are you going to open up your shops? And I think having that network in, in that community from an operated perspective is really important as well. How did you land on sourdough? I know that cronuts were kind of coming into play at the time. Um, also, I, I hadn't heard of sourdough donuts before that. And then like all the crazy flavors. Was was it big in Australia or were you like, oh, I feel like these would be tastier? Yeah, the, the, there's a few reasons, I guess. it's, I guess the artisan bakery scene we felt was going to go through a phase which i think it definitely has and, and people are appreciating scratch baking you know the sourdough movement i think is really taken off in the last few years in particular uh, and we thought that was something that we wanted to, re- to represent we obviously hadn't seen anyone do it before and it, it gives you a different eating experience you know it's it's got like a bread-like texture and it's got a, a strong crumb so it actually absorbs less oil as well when you fry it so the eating experience is very different to other donuts that are in the market and i think that's you know it's become our usp right people know us for the asado donuts and there's been lots of people now that have copied us but i think it's it's been a movement of artisan bakery that we've been a part of which is great in terms of the flavors like yeah we like to use seasonal product so for example if forced rhubarb is in season we'll use it and we'll make something delicious from it. And then as soon as it's out of season, we will move to something else. You know, in winter, people like more indulgence of chocolates and, and spices and things like that. And in summer, you want something lighter and, and fruitier and, and you've got to take advantage of the product that you get. And because we make all our jams and compots and fillings and glazes in-house, we will use whatever is available to us. And that's really guided us every season is like, okay, well, what can we get? Okay, we haven't done used yuzu before, so let's do a yuzu glaze and a beetroot sourdough. And I think keeping those a variety interesting has has been really important to continue to engage with the customers. Yeah, I also love that you you said somewhere that people eat with their eyes. They really are a work of art. And then the way you've displayed them, it's kind of like Victoria's Secret runway, but for donuts. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't I haven't had it described to me like that, but. Um, <laughs> I, I guess so. I mean, look, it, eating with your eyes, yeah, look, the, we call it donut porn, right? That's what it is. And yeah, look, I, I think the social channels, Instagram is perfect for that. And we just, we're so lucky that we get so much user generated content. Like almost everything we share is, is photos from customers. And I think that's important because. It's a great experience when you get a box and you're like, oh, the cross-end donuts are here and you open it up and you get the smell and it gets all your senses and then obviously you've got the taste as well. I think there's a great angle for us about sharing. You know, The boxes are the best sellers for us because people love to share. And whether it's someone's birthday or you know 
someone's got a meeting or it doesn't matter. There's always a good excuse to get crosstown. And that's really allowed us to, to hit people in so many different moments, like weddings or events and not just people walking to the shop. And I think that's been really important for us is that we have quite a diversified revenue stream and allowed us to, to get our product into you know, so many different places and for so many different moments. You guys have 11 stores and 10 stalls and you're in six retailers. At what point did you maybe need funding? Because I'm assuming the first stall, you just kind of set it up and you were testing the market. Did you need funding and did you apply for it or did you kind of self-fund? No, it was actually, it was more, more I guess, organized than that. So we, we did a, a small friends and family round before we started the stall. So really the, the idea was always to have a retail presence. And, you know, I, I put in all my savings into it. Adam put in some of his savings as well. And, and we raised some bits of, we're not talking a huge amount of money from, from our network. And that really allowed us to, to get going and start really investing into the concept, crystallizing it, making sure that, you know, we had the Crosstown brand and it wasn't like we just put up a tent in, in Leather Lane, you know, it was like fully branded. We had all the displays made. We, you know, we were the first stall on the market to take you no know, cash. It was like you could pay on Amex and it'd be one pound. You'd be like, yeah, you can touch and go. Uh, so we were always really progressive and innovative from the start. And, you know, really quite quickly after our first stall, we were looking for our first premise and, the first actual shop was a pop-up in Piccadilly Circus Station where we took a six-month trial and it was the first time we got to pair coffee and donuts. And our thinking was really quite simple. It was like, look, this is one of the busiest stations in the world. If we can stop traffic with our donuts and coffee, we're onto something. And we could. We, we, we managed to present ourselves in a way and we are like, great, so people will actually stop, you know, even though they're on the way out of the station and take notice of us and purchase from us. So then we started looking for our first permanent shop. And that really happened in, I think, I was just thinking back. I think we opened it in April 2016. So it's probably five years old. And that was in Soho, which is a tiny sort of hole in the wall shop. It's like 200 square foot. It's, it's, it's really, really small. And that got us going. And, and since then, we, you know, we found a second shop after that, which was Brick Lane. And then our third and fourth, and, and we just continued to, to find locations. And, you know, we, we've got two food trucks as well. One's at Spitterfield Market. The other one, we've got to look, find a new place for it. And yeah. were, you, were you just looking for high footfall areas? What was the thinking behind each location? Yeah, like footfall is one aspect. I think the demographic as well. So, Soho is a great spot because it's got that creative vibe. It's got a lot of creative offices. It's got tourists. Um, it's It's got residents as well. So it's got that seven-day-a-week trade, which I think is really important for, for hospitality businesses, that if you can find a spot that, that you can trade seven days a week, um, it's a lot better than trading five. Uh, so it, it was – yeah, there's a few factors you look at and – but there's definitely, you need to take into account the micro factors. And, and by that, I mean, there is such a thing as being on the wrong side of the road. You could be five meters away from the right spot, but it might as well be five miles. And 
yeah, we've, we've learned the hard way in some things. Like I remember doing a pop-up in Westfield and they gave us this spot and it was basically the route to the toilet. <laughs> and it was like literally 10 meters away from the main drag, but it was just not the spot where people would go because obviously they're on the way to the toilet. They're not, they're not looking to stop and buy a donut before they go to the toilet. <laughs> and <laughs> it's just so interesting. You start looking at all the footfall and you're like, we could literally spit on the area that we want to be in, but it might as well be a hundred miles away. <laughs> yeah. So I think taking into account all the little intricacies of, of how people move is, is actually a really interesting part of, of how you choose a site. And I think as we grew up as well, like the density of worker population is, has been really important because we service so many offices, you know, people coming down and getting boxes for all sorts of reasons. And that's really one of the challenges we're going to face now yeah. is that we've got potentially a new normal where working from home is, is the new norm. So us having delivery direct to your door is really, really important and vital at the moment. And it's just so key that we have Slurp and that we, you know, it's a hundred percent of our revenue at the moment. And I can't yeah. tell you when shops are likely to, to open again in, in a way that we've seen historically. Um, I think people's movement around big cities like London is going to change forever. Gosh, I hope not. I hope <laughs> I hope it's like vaccine and then we all go back to normal life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was interesting, like Twitter coming out, you know, this week and being like, hey, work from home policy is here to stay. Facebook and Google, as you know, have extended it for the rest of the year. Now we've got an off, we've got a, a shop downstairs from Facebook and it's Rovia, like, I don't know. I don't know what the football is going to be like there ever again. Because if I don't know, fifty percent to who knows, it could be more. Don't go into the office on a regular basis. That instantly hits operators like us. So I think it's going to be an interesting adjustment, and I think we're going to have to work really closely with our landlords to to make it uh, work together. I think it's so raw and still too early for there to be sort of a clear plan. It's, it's, yeah, it's going to be a bumpy ride, I think. Uh, Let's talk about happier things. The branding, (laughs) I wanted to ask. Um, You did that yourself, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. So I I sort of taught myself how to use Illustrator and, and yeah, some of the sort of uh, Adobe tools and just got cracking with it early. And that helped. I, I found it, it was just easier for me to conceptualize and present my thoughts myself. And that's kind of a quite common trait of me of just wanting to do it myself. It's probably quite a common trait of most founders, I think. So yeah, I, I just created the the logo, which is it hasn't changed one bit. It's exactly the same as it is today. It's really quite crazy because the branding is almost identical to what we started with. Like they're really, it, of course, it's evolved, but actually, we use the same boxes. Like we haven't even updated the boxes, the prints on them, or anything. So it's become part of our DNA and it's retained that. And I think it's, it's to me, it's still really relevant. I think, and yeah, it's got its sort of unique look. And I think it's very identifiable because, you know, we use black and white as our primary colors, even though they're not colors. And the story with that was because I kind of felt the sweet treat market in particular was inundated with pinks and purples and, and really feminine colors. And, there wasn't really anything out there that was, you know, neutral or, or, you know, related to guys even. It was like, I remember one time when I was living in a shared house 
I went and got a cake for my housemate because it was her birthday and I was walking down the street and it had like this fluoro pink bag. It was like hyper pink, like <laughs> so loud. And I was like, whoa, this is like, this is so, I shouldn't feel awkward buying a cake. Like it just seems bizarre. Yeah, right, right. And then, so I created the brand to be more neutral and quite slick and premium. And I guess the crazy thing about it is that like, if you look at like our Instagram following, it's like 78% females or something. It's, <laughs> it's still very female led. But, you know, I think the customer base that we have when they walk in shops is, is split down the middle. It's like 50-50. What about the name? Um, the name came, actually, it was inspired from a trip I had to New York. And I remember you know, I tried, I walked a lot around Manhattan. And I love that city. I mean, it's just amazing. It just buzzes with energy. And I remember seeing the Crosstown bus, which is like this bus that you can get on that goes to as the name suggests, across town. And it sort of touches all the the key areas of the city. And I thought that's a really cool name. And it also identified with the fact that, you know, myself and Adam had pretty diverse backgrounds and, you know, me being born in Scotland and grew up in Australia, but I've got Chinese heritage. We're from all different areas of the world and we're from, you know, we're from different towns. So I thought it tied in quite nicely. And then I sort of looked up, you know, the hygiene stuff, like, can we protect the IP? Can we trademark it? And yeah, there really wasn't people using that name in in our sector in Europe and anywhere else. So we settled on it and that was it. Crosstown was here to stay. I love it. How do you run the two businesses? I mean, they're both pretty big. Um, Like I I kind of split my time 50-50. It's it's um yeah look it's tough <laughs> it's some long days and i yeah particularly with lockdown i, I kind of have lost concept of when a weekend is it's, it's bizarre right because every day is just the same um but they're both at very different stages of their life cycle like crosstown's six years old slurps you know really at the start of a journey and is it's in the startup phase and it, it's going through a, a huge growth period but it's about building the right teams around you. You know, it's about building people who buy into the vision of the companies. And a lot of the people at Crosstown have been there since the start or near the start, which has been amazing. And they've progressed with us and they've added so much value along the way. And, and the same with Slurp, like, although we've just launched in a, you know six months ago, the journey really started back in 2016. Like it's, it's already been quite a long ride you've got to you've got to have the right people around you and they've got to buy into it because particularly in startups it's scrappy it's long hours you know it's hard but it's so rewarding as well because you can really make a huge difference and and make a huge impact and i think that's relevant now more than ever for slurp because there's just been so many businesses that have reached out to us desperate like literally like what do I do? How do I get something going? How do I get uh, a website yeah. live? And and it's been nice to be that, I guess, that digital business partner for, for these operators and, and give them an avenue where they can actually get some revenue coming in and, yeah, connecting with their customers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you start Slurp on your own or did you have – is it with Adam as well? Um, so Adam's – I guess Adam's a shareholder, but he's not, not involved in the day-to-day event. You know, I have uh, a CTO and a CCO, so guys like Jason and Matt who have been along the in the ride with me. 
again, you know, I've, I've partnered up with people who can add value and, and are bought into it. So yeah, it's it's got its its own team and its own office and it's a completely separate company and it's just me who sort of splits my time between the two of them. But you know, I really could not have created Slurp without being without having the knowledge as an operator, without going through all the learnings with Crosstown. And you know, the idea came to me when I was like, you know, we were an early adopter of of Deliveroo and Uber Eats at, at, at Crosstown. We were really early on and. It really excited me because I was like, wow, this is a different way to look at shops. Shops are all of a sudden not dependent on just footfall, like, like you were just mentioning. It's, they can be hubs. You know, that's what we call our locations. We call them hubs because they can serve a, service a catchment area now and you can deliver and, and you can do all these, these things that you just couldn't have done 10 years ago. But we lacked the control. You know, we lacked that interaction with the customer. We didn't get the direct experience with them. And it didn't really make sense that we were pushing people away from our website to to another platform. And and that really was the instigator to create Slurp. It was like, well, how do we create this on-demand e-commerce direct-to-consumer thing? You know, what, what do you call this? And at the time, there was just nothing. Like, it was crazy. Like, uh, the e-commerce solutions out there are just not fit for purpose for what we needed to do. So we created it. And, and that was it. We were like... If we want this and we, you know, why wouldn't other operators want this? And that was really enough yeah. of validation for me. It was like, look, I'm, I'm a growing brand. I've got multi-site operation. If I need this, surely other people are going to need this as well. And then it's really just been about an education process about why you should be doing direct-to-consumer in parallel with marketplaces or why you should be doing direct-to-consumer if you don't want to do marketplaces. And I think that's just come to the forefront in the last two months in particular because it has to have been, you know, it's the only channel now for so many people. Uh, so a little bit of luck and timing, but at the same time, it, it's not been something that we've just stumbled upon. It's been something that we've been working on for a very long time. Well, uh, I like to finish all my podcasts with asking when you're not eating donuts, uh, <laughs> where are you eating? Ah, where am I eating? Um, oh, look, there's so many great restaurants and cafes in, in London. Like if I'm up in Shoreditch where the Slurp offices are, I love going to Visions Canteen. Those guys are amazing. They do some great sandwiches and they do the best grab out ever. So that's been a staple for me for as long as they've existed. I live down in uh, London Bridge, Bermondsey area, and Spa Terminus is is definitely a weekend staple. If you haven't been down there and you're a Londoner, you should. It's got the best produce in London, I think. You've got operators like Little Bread Peddler, which is a great bakery. You've got Neil's Yard Dairy for cheeses. You've got Natura for fruit and veg. Um, there's some really amazing produce that you can get direct. And uh, yeah, Spa Terminus, sort of Bermondsey area, is is fantastic. Borough Market, of course, is, is amazing. And all the, the markets around London, like Broadway Market, Victoria Park Market, they all have a piece of my heart, you know. It's, um, we're a part of the fabric yeah. for many of them in, in London, and I love them. You know, street food is, is where so many great concepts are born. And places like Bow, you know, that, which is like an institution in London now, they're a street food store. That's how they started. And same with like, you know, Dumpling Shack. You know, we used to trade next to John every day. I used to set up next to him at Broadway Market for years. And you know, now he's got his operations in Spitterfields. Like, I think there's some amazing 
amazing street food um, in London, and I think the scene is, is amazing. My Crosstown Work From Home Favorites box has just arrived, so I'm going to grab a donut and cover off JP's biggest tips. Okay, here we go. JP had written a very thorough business plan that didn't include wholesale in it, but actually it became clear in week two of their business that wholesale was going to be a huge percentage of their revenue. So they pivoted, no problem. Also, location's really important, not just in terms of footfall, but the microfactors that you need to think about. So we kind of heard this with Corazon as well. In Crosstown's case, they needed a location that they could trade in seven days a week. They also needed the right demographic, and they needed it to be in a place where people would actually stop to buy donuts, so not on the way to the loo in a Westfield, for example. On the Slurp side, uh, JP identified a huge problem with the e-commerce and delivery side in the industry. The learning there is you don't have to be a slave to the status quo. You can change it. Slurp is a challenger brand, and it's thriving, particularly during the pandemic. It actually seems that Slurp may be more lucrative than the gourmet donut and coffee business that JP's already made a huge success. Right, that's it. Thank you for joining us. See you next week.